Okay, we are uh, finishing up our series in the book of Ruth today. We're at chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4. So if you have a Bible in front of you, uh, open it up to Ruth. Ruth is in the Old Testament, Joshua, then Judges, then Ruth. It's right before 1 Samuel. And I'm going to read verse 13 and following from Ruth chapter 4. So listen now to God's Word. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went in to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, is more to you than seven sons, and has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap, and she became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez followed Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning again uh, with both heavy and joyous hearts. And we come to you with all of the emotions that we bring, and we bring them before your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word today, that you speak into the, into the mourning places in our lives, into the confused places in our lives, into the hurt places in our lives, that you would speak to us, Lord, into the disobedient places in our lives, that we might turn and follow you. Lord, open our eyes and soften our hearts and stop our ears, that we may hear and see and know you, that we may love you and that we might follow you more fully. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to introduce you to uh, the newest toy that is going to hit shelves maybe this Christmas. This is uh, Invisible Jim. You may not be able to see it, but here's some great things about Invisible Jim is that he has realistic fake hair. He is completely devoid of darting eyes. So, you know, if that makes you nervous, this is the toy you want. No darting eyes, no shifty eyes. There's a camouflage suit that's sold separately, just in case you need to camouflage in the visible gym. And it says down there, uh, a gripping hand uh, would be nice. (laughs) Of course, the joke is that the box is empty. There's nothing there. Empty is a, a word that I think resounds probably with us these days and is found in a lot more than just toys. Emptiness, of course, is is no laughing matter in our culture. We deal with it all the time. There's an author, she's a a psychotherapist named Madeline Levine, and she's written a book called The Price of Privilege. It's a very good book. I'd recommend it to anybody. And she spent most of her time counseling upper-middle-class teens. 
And what she's seen in these teens is this phenomenon of a combination that's this, this mix, the soup that they live in is this mix of both kind of helicopter and absentee parenting and infusion of a bunch of money. And it's a heavy desire for performance. All of these kids look really pretty on the outside, but inside there's not much going on. She talks about sitting down with a teenage girl and, uh, and noticing pretty quickly uh, the, the marks of, of somebody who's harming themselves. This girl, even in the middle of the summer, was wearing a long sleeve shirt. It's a long sleeve t-shirt where she'd cut out kind of a hole for her thumb so that her, her sleeves didn't come up. And uh, when Dr. Levine finally asked her to raise her sleeves, she had seen that she had actually carved the word empty into her own arm. And this is what she says here. This is a quote from the book. She says, the most common thing I hear in my office from the kids is, I'm fake. The surface of their family life always looks good. The lawns are always perfectly manicured. The houses always look beautiful. But when you get to what's going on beneath these kids' T-shirts, there's not much happening inside. She describes this kind of like a, a, a gold-painted Easter egg. It looks really shiny and beautiful on the outside, but when you open it up, it's empty. There's nothing there. That is the emptiness that many people feel. That is the emptiness that is prevalent in many ways in our culture. We live in a world I don't need to remind you again, but I'm going to, in which a man with a gun walks into a grocery store not to shop for groceries, but to kill people, in which a man with a gun walks into a church not to worship, but to kill people, in which a man with a gun walks into an elementary school not to tell the teachers they're doing a great job with the third and fourth graders but to kill the third and fourth graders. We live in a world that's full of emptiness. We live in a world in which that emptiness touches our own lives too, doesn't it? Because we see things like this all the time, the loss of someone you love, or the loss of a dream, or the loss even of your own body in many ways or the estrangement of a parent, or a spouse, or a sibling, or the brokenness that comes with substance abuse, or a diagnosis of a terrible disease that comes, or not knowing how in the world to help your children who are struggling, or simply loneliness and dealing with loneliness and not knowing what to do about it. By the way, all of the things I just mentioned are actual things happening to people in our congregation. There's emptiness. We see it a lot. I think what I want us to see most today, though, and if you, if you don't hear anything else today, hear this is that what we see really clearly from this end of Ruth chapter 4 is that God loves to fill empty places. Our God is a God who fills emptiness. It is His character, it is His nature, and it is His repetitive action. 
We see it all throughout Ruth. We see it especially here at the end of Ruth. We see it all throughout the scriptures, and it's still true, is that God loves to fill empty places. He loves to turn sadness to joy. He loves to turn loneliness into community. He loves to restore family. God does this because he is good, he is loving, he is faithful. Remember that word that we've been talking about all throughout this series in Ruth, that great Hebrew word, chesed, God's loving kindness, his covenant faithfulness, his kindness that goes way far and above anything that is necessary simply to lavish his love on people. We see it from the Lord and we see it from the people in this story. So we're just going to take a few minutes, we'll be shorter today, and dig into what that fullness looks like here at the end of chapter four of Ruth. You see it first of all in Naomi. Remember, if you can, from the very beginning of our story, Naomi, of course, is in many ways the main character of the story. She is the one who goes, she travels to Moab, her husband dies, her sons die, and then she comes back to Israel, and she comes back with one of her daughters-in-law. And when she comes back, all of her old friends, the, the women of the community, they welcome her back in and they say, oh, Naomi is back. Naomi actually has a, a meaning. It, it, means, uh, it means sweetness or, or fullness. She says, no, no. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because I went away full, but I've come back empty. That's how we started Ruth. That's in Ruth chapter one, is that we see Naomi empty, completely empty. But look at the way that we finish it. It's so beautiful, right? She comes, and guess who, guess who gets to do the talking again? They didn't show up. They, they haven't shown up since chapter one. It's all of the, the women. It's kind of the chorus here of women in the neighborhood, and they welcome Naomi back in, and what do they say? It's almost just the opposite. The women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. And then here's these three great things that God has given Naomi, is that he's given her a restorer of life, He's given her one to actually fill her emptiness, restore her life, actually renew her completely, body, mind, and soul. And then secondly, he says, not only a restore of life, but a nourisher of your old age. This is both practical, physical, and emotional. Someone who's actually going to take care of her as she ages, and someone that's actually also going to love her so that she feels that in her age. If you are a grandparent, if you're Eric or Sherry, you know this pointedly. Happy Grandparents' Day this weekend to them. You know that when you see your grandchild. There's a, there's a nourishment, a restoration, a feeling of, oh my goodness, this is, this is my grandchild who's going to do something for me, not only physically but emotionally. Like It gives you great joy and happiness. And then third, look what she gets. She gets not only a, a restorer of life, a nourisher in her old age, but she gets Ruth. That's what they proclaim. You have Ruth who is better to you than seven sons. Now, that sounds kind of like just a fun throwaway phrase for us, but it's meaningful actually in this time. Sons were actually given the higher honor. They were the ones who received the inheritance. They were the ones who carried on the family name. They were the ones who were going to be the providers. They were going to work the land and keep the land and provide for their family. So not only is Ruth like a son, but she's like seven sons. 
And this is kind of a literary device used here. Seven is a, is a word that would have uh, given this feeling of completeness, of fullness, of perfection. So it's like these women are gathered together saying, you have the perfect family. Because you have Ruth, you have the perfect family. It's like your family was huge and sprawling with all kinds of sons and grandsons and grandchildren. It's because of Ruth that you have this amount of blessing. Naomi came back empty, and God has filled her because God loves to fill empty places. And then look at Ruth. Ruth goes from emptiness to fullness as well. When they, when they start off, remember, they go to Moab. They've got sons. Those sons marry Moabite daughters, and they're there for like 10 years, and they don't have any children. Now, 10 years without children may not be a lot in our time and place, but it was a long time in their time and place. Ruth probably would have been considered to be barren by that time. And she comes back here, and what do we have that the Lord says here? Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, and went into her, and the Lord gave her conception. There's real physical emptiness that the Lord really and physically fills. The Lord opens her womb. And maybe you also remember from chapter 1, there's a prayer that Naomi prayed for her daughters-in-law. She prayed to them when she was trying to send them away. She said, you know, may the Lord give you rest in the house of your husband. And it was this great, almost kind of trite-sounding blessing. But look at what happens here at the very end. <laughs> What's the Lord done? He's given her rest in the house of her husband. She's cared for. She's got a child. He has filled her completely. Friends, the Lord is in the business of filling empty places. The question for us really is, I think, do we believe that? Do we believe that He is a filler of emptiness? I don't know if you've been, I know some of you have been to uh, Franklin Barbecue in Austin, the best barbecue I've ever put in my mouth. And uh, at least back in the day when I was there, you know, the way that that barbecue place would go is that they would open at 11 and they would make this beautiful brisket um, that really just, you could kind of just like see the aura just kind of coming off of it. It was amazing. Um, and they'd, they'd open at 11. They'd only make so much of the brisket though. And so lines would just line up to early in the morning. People would get there early in the morning. They would bring their coffee. They'd bring a chair and they'd stand in line for 30, uh, three hours before the place opened just to make sure that they could get the food. And, uh, and if you've experienced this, it's really, it's really kind of funny. So you've stood in line here for this long time and, and in the middle of the lunch hour, they'd start to do this thing where they'd, they'd come out, they'd send an employee out and the employee would start to ask everybody what they're gonna order. And what they're doing is they're counting. They're counting who's going to order the brisket, and then they're going to go back and see how much brisket they actually have. And then this is the really terrible part. They have this sign that says, last man standing, and it's on a chain. And at some point, they come out, and they put that sign over the person who's going to get the last brisket. And everybody behind him in line knows, I'm not going to get it. And so you just see this just like, just intense sadness. Oh, and you've been sitting in line for three hours smelling it and watching everybody else go in and eat and you know you're not gonna get any. I, 
<laughs> I literally had a friend when, when, when Franklin's opened, you know, the first couple years, I had a friend that had been there three times and <laughs> had never eaten. <laughs> now, I think sometimes, though, we kind of think this is the way that the Lord works. Yeah, he's got some good stuff, you know, there's, there's good stuff to be had, but, you know, it's kind of on a limited basis. And so maybe it'll run out. Maybe I, maybe I won't get it. Maybe when I come up to my time in line, maybe he's, he's finished filling, you know, and he doesn't do that anymore. But that's not the case. I, I read something about Lake Tahoe this week. Lake Tahoe is uh, like over 1,600 feet deep in its deepest places. That's really deep. And the size of that lake, they said you could actually, if you tipped over Lake Tahoe, it would fill all of California with like 12 feet of water. That's how much water is in Lake Tahoe. You could, uh, you could, uh, you could supply every person in the United States with 50 gallons of water a day for five years with that amount of water. <laughs> and it's not even the biggest lake in the country. Lake Superior is something like 120 times the size of Lake Tahoe. You would never exhaust its resources you would never exhaust its supply. That is what the Lord's kindness, his goodness, his provision is like. It's inexhaustible. It's everlasting. The Lord loves to fill empty places. I want to finish with this because I think this is a fascinating piece here of the end of Ruth 4. Is we get to wonder... <laughs> How does God do that filling? How is he going to work to fill empty places? And what is so beautiful is that what we see actually through, through, through all of Scripture, what we still see in the church today is highlighted here in Ruth 4. And that's this, is that God does his filling through, primarily through the love that his people show to those around them. I, I don't know if you've seen that. In, in Ruth so far, but remember that idea of hesed, that idea of loving kindness and faithfulness, it not only comes from God, but it comes through His people. And so here's the love that Naomi shows to Ruth by bringing her back with her, by bringing her into her home, by caring for her as best she can. It's the love that Ruth shows to Naomi we get it here repeated here at the end, Ruth, who loves you? That's what they say. That's what these women say. Ruth, who loves you? And it has been shown that she loves her throughout the whole story. She's provided for her. It's known. Remember, Boaz even says so when he, when he meets Ruth. He says, we've heard about you. Everybody in the town has heard about you. We've heard how you have loved Naomi. And, of course, we see it in the way that Boaz loves both of them. He acts sacrificially for them. He gives of himself, not only of his land, but actually of his life so that they could be cared for, so that they could be fulfilled, so that they could have a heritage. He is giving completely of himself. It's the hesed of God being worked through his people that is actually accomplishing those small stories and binding it together. But did you get this too? This is super important. It's not just the small story either. It's their love that's actually working out for the bigger story too. The implications of God's people loving those around them 
has, it, it, it spreads through more than just their lives. It spreads even through the generations. It's why we get this great genealogy here at the end. It's because the author wants us to know that these things have an impact that is lasting, that is truly lasting. Their love has impact beyond their lifetimes. You know, the, the, the people who have walked on the moon, there are their footprints on the moon, right? We, we took our first, you know, jump off of the lunar lander module, and there's this big footprint. You've all seen a picture of it that's sitting on the moon. It's still there. And scientists actually say that it'll probably be there for about mm, 10 million more years because there's no wind on the moon. There's nothing to disturb it. That event has finished. The story of the lunar landing is done, but the impact actually will go on for a long, long, long time. Let me just say this, I, I, I don't know what the final impact is going to be of these terrible events that we've seen recently. I don't know what God is going to do with the shootings in Buffalo and in L.A., and in Uvalde. But I do know this, is that he is faithful, he is sovereign, he cares for his creation, he is working all things together for the good of those who love him, and he is bringing things to a good end. And he is going to do that. <laughs> if he's going to work any, anything like we've seen him work in the past, He's going to do that primarily through the love that his people show to those around him. What, what would the story of Salvador Ramos, that's the 18-year-old who walked in and shot 21 people, killed 21 people in Uvalde this week, what would his story be like if he had been shown the love of Jesus in a different way? How, how would his story have changed if, if God's people had come alongside him when he was hurting? If God's people had shown him care, mercy, love, sacrifice? Would it have changed anything at Rob Elementary? I don't, I don't know. But maybe. Because God's people, when they love one another, when they love the people around them, when they reach out in mercy, when they sacrifice for one another, it has lasting impact, not just on our little individual stories, but actually on the big story that God is putting together. I don't know what all those things will be. We don't know them. We can't guess them. Here's, here's what we do know is that God fills empty places, that he has filled them most perfectly and finally in Jesus, that he has filled the emptiness in our own hearts, that he has filled the emptiness that we have because we have run away from him, that he has filled the broken places because of our own sin, that he has filled them because of Jesus, who is in his fullness has made us complete in him. He's shown us his hesed. 
in Jesus. He has shown us his faithfulness. He has shown us his mercy and his kindness. And the more that we cling to that, the more that we are enabled actually to work out that love and mercy to the world around us and to see God go to work. Let's pray. Good and generous Father, Lord, who loves to fill empty places. We ask that you would simply do what you love to do. Because, Lord, we come and we are, um, we are not full on our own. Uh, we, are, we are broken. Lord, even as we mourn tragedy, it is right that we look in the mirror Because, Lord Jesus, you've said, if we hate, it's like we murder. If we lust, it's like we commit adultery. So, Lord, will you you go to work by the power of your spirit in the empty places in our own hearts that we might cling to your fullness that we might celebrate and live into the loving kindness that you have shown us in Jesus and that that might change us, (laughs) that we might be a part of your redemptive work in this world. We pray in the name of Christ, amen.